Well, once again, uh, welcome. And, uh, you know, as always, I'd like to, I, I always like to extend a warm welcome to those who are visiting with us for the first time. And I believe, uh, Anija alluded to this earlier, we really want you, I don't think there's a bigger endeavor that we can pursue than the worship of God. So we're in the right place this morning. Uh, you know, as we uh, continue with the theme that we started earlier this month, two or better than one, you know, what better topic to really make sure that we tie into that than humility, right? Because two will not be better than one without humility. It just won't happen. And, uh, you know, Mark has done such a great job in really calling us to consider where we're at in our lives as it pertains to being involved in each other's lives. Uh, you know, he's de- he definitely used the Word of God to help us to see that it is true that two are better than one. And, of course, we talked about two weeks ago how, you know, every single one of us needs someone to have our six, right? Someone to have our back, Because we're not all knowing and we all have blind sides and we all need somebody to be concerned for us and care for us. And as I mentioned this morning, we'll be talking about humility and how that fits in into this obvious need that God has put in our lives. Some of you may not be familiar with the name Laszlo Bach. Some of you may be. But I'm certain that just about every single one of you have heard of the company he works for. As the vice president of people operations for Google, Bach is in charge of hiring for one of the world's most successful companies. You know, it doesn't matter how you feel about Google. We all can say that Google is a successful company. We can't deny that fact. I mean, when you think about it, when was the last time you grabbed your phone and said, you know what, I got a Yahoo this. <laughs> we don't say that, but we all understand, and Google has figured out a way to embed it in our brains that when we don't understand something, we're going to Google it. So I want you this morning to listen to what uh, Laszlo Bach, in an interview with the New York Times, what he said about Google. He was quoted as having said, GPAs are worthless as a criteria for hiring. (laughs) And test scores are worthless. He said, we found that they don't predict anything. He went on to describe the five hiring attributes used across the company and noted that humility is one of the top three. You know, he was quoted, he said in this article, without humility, you are unable to learn. And the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the author of this article, the journalist, You know, in uh, summarizing what Laszlo was saying about humility there and how Google has found that this is important or this is required for success in their company, the the writer sums up the, the article in saying, in an age when innovation is increasingly a group endeavor, the world cares about a lot of soft skills. 
Skills like leadership, humility, collaboration, adaptability, and loving to learn, and get this, and relearn. This will be true no matter where you go to work. You know, this morning, my goal is not to help you secure a job with Google. Although, if what I've shared helped you, by all means, go ahead and use it. But, you know, I really love when the result of our life experiences confirm what God has been telling us all along in Scripture. And isn't that really what's going on there in Google? I mean, they're realizing, you know, just the, the, the benefit of humility and how it's required in any form of success. But if you turn with me to Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, let's look at what God has been saying thousands of years before Google. You know, here in this um, short verse, three, three sentences, you know, the, the, the prophet says, He, referring to God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know, again, humility is not only a requirement for success at Google, but God has made it clear that, and it's really as we walk with him with humility, God allows you and I to be successful in our endeavors. You know, in a group this size, you know, I'm sure that we're at different places in our walk with God. It's true, right? I mean, some of us, maybe we've just recently been baptized, right? Maybe we were religious, but we've decided that we were going to repent of our sins and be baptized so that we can truly walk with God. And maybe that's where you're at. You know, where if that's the stage we're in, then humility is required. Maybe you've been walking with God for quite some time now. Maybe it's been 10, maybe it's been 15, maybe it's been five, however long that it's been. But you know what? According to scripture, you know, God helps us to understand what we need to do, right? He shows us what's good. We understand. And what does he require is for us to walk with him humbly. True success comes from living life God's way and with God. That's what the Bible teaches us. You know, upward mobility in our careers or in society is not true success if it comes at the cost of neglecting our souls, right? I mean, that's like we could see, yeah, you know what? I started here in, in, in the company, but now I'm there. But what is the condition of your heart, right? Man, I was at this point in my life. God allowed somebody to reach out to me. And as I listened to his word and I applied it to my life, he took me from here to there. At this point in your life, what is the condition of your heart? Is it still to walk humbly with your God? Again, two isn't better than one without humility. You know, no one will have your six, nor will you allow someone to have your six without humility. It won't happen. We need humility. You know, uh, this morning, the text I really want us to sit and focus on is the Second Chronicles chapter 26. If I can have you go ahead and uh, turn there. 
And uh, this is really, for me, a very powerful story in Scripture. There's not much said about this king in all of Scripture, but the, the, the bit that we get to understand about him, you know, really for me, and I, and I believe as you uh, look into this, you will agree that it really convicts us about our level of humility. You know, checking ourselves on where we're at. You know, is, 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 is the level that we're increasing in more pride or is it humility? During his sermon uh, two weeks ago, you know, Mark used uh, what I thought was just a brilliant illustration. You know, he used uh, Lake Mead and described the drought that has taken place over years that has caused for the water to recede to a point way below the water, the high water mark. And I do have a picture there. Mark was able to find a picture and he was able to pass it on to me. And uh, I don't know about you. I'm a, you know, I'm a visual person. This helps me. If you look at this, what you see is that you see the white part on the, on the rock over there. So that high point there is the high water mark. That's really where the water has risen in years past. Now, because of the drought at this point, it has dropped to the point that it's at right now, nearly 200 feet away from the high water mark. And you know, what's really great about this illustration and what it helped me to do when I left that sermon was really to think about that scripture in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus tells the church, one of the churches there, he says, look, consider how far you have fallen. And repent. Right? We all can see the need for change. And we want to change. We want to repent. But a lot of time we move too quickly past the point where we've got to consider where we have fallen. And as Mark described uh, two weeks ago, you know, when we think about being involved in each other's lives, you know, our fellowship of churches, one of the, 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 the hallmark in our church, I think we're, we've, we've been known for is involvement in each other's lives. And to think now where we've allowed it to drop to. And for me, that's the picture. And it's not me trying to convince you that's what you need to look at, although I'm trying to do that. But it's for me too. Because here's the thing. We can't fool ourselves and not know that that's a drop in humility. You know, we, the depth that we're falling to, it is a result of humility. And uh, as we look here at the narrative of uh, the 12th king of Judah, whose name is Uzziah, also known as Azariah, in Second uh, Chronicles 26, I believe we'll see a story of a man who God used in incredible ways, but he gets to a point where his level of humility was decreasing. And he needed to see where he was and how he had fallen. And uh, for me, this text really helped me to think about two questions. You know, for me to be able to consider the depth at which I have fallen, you know, I need questions to really examine myself, evaluate myself. And here are two questions for me as I look at this. And we'll, re we'll read starting in verse 1. And it is a lifted reading, but you know what? I want us to see how God really had been involved in his life 
from the beginning and as we see the shift in Uzziah's life. So in verse 1, it says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah after Amaziah rested with his ancestors. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. Now pay attention to verse 5. It says, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistine and against the Arabs who lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate at the valley gate, at the, ang- at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness and dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by division according to their numbers as mustered by J.L., the secretary, and Mahasiah, the officer under the direction of Ananiah, one of the royal officials. The two number of family leaders over, the, I'm sorry, the total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war a powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Verse 16, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God, and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord God. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, you picture that, 
ready to burn incense, became angry while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave. Because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. The other events of Uzziah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings, for people said he had leprosy. And Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. Again, to me, I mean, you read that, that's powerful. I mean, here's a man at 16 years old. God allowed him to become king of a great nation. And he sought God out. There was this desire in him, according to verse 5, to know God and to do God's will, right? And uh, he learned how to fear God and obeyed God from Zechariah, a godly man who instructed him about God. You know, in his youth, his humility was evident in his willingness to learn from others. And the first question, as I look at that, the first question that pops into my mind When I consider where Uzziah ended up at the end of his life and how it was pride or lack of humility that led to his downfall, it begs the question, was he still allowing himself to learn from others? Was he still doing that? I mean, the text doesn't say, but you know he started that way. But did that continue in his life? And to bring it home to us, you know, we got to ask ourselves, Am I able to learn from godly men and women around me? Is that, is that happening currently? Are you learning from others? Or better yet, who are you learning from? Maybe identifying that. And I'm, who, who am I learning from? Who are the people I'm learning? I'm allowing to instruct me according to God's word. Who's doing that? You know, it's funny because sometimes... We, you know, we automatically think, and rightly so, that the opposite of humility is pride, right? You think about an unwillingness to imitate others. Is that not also an opposite of, of humility, the opposite of humility? You know, if you turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 14 here, you know, the scripture says, uh, this is Paul, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. You know, we, God has put us together. And as we get that concept down of two being better than one, we, we can think about how God wants those relationships we're in to be transformative. And the way Scripture talks about that is that we're competent, obviously, we have to be mindful and consider how someone is living their lives. But it's something, you know, if we have someone in our life who is striving to be godly, who's using the word of God to help us see where we're at, 
You know, they are competent to instruct us. They can help us out. But, you know, if you're like me, I mean, sometimes what are some of the things that keep us from learning from one another? Maybe we decide, you know what? I can't learn from that person because, you know, in the past, they've advised me wrong in the wrong way. A mistake in the past. Because, you know, sometimes we can be looking for perfection. And I don't know about you, if you've been on that pursuit for long, it does not exist. What God is calling us to is not perfection, but humility where we walk with him humbly. And so as we're looking at each other's lives, if someone is striving to be like Christ, and they're using the word of God, and they're calling us to imitate godly qualities in them, the word of God said we're competent to instruct one another. You know, if you decided, hey, because somebody wrongly advised me in the past, I'm not going to learn from them. How is that working for you? Is that approach helping you in your effort to live out God's will for your life? I mean, how's, how's that going really? You know, earlier this month, Shar uh, and I, and it's funny, there's always something funny happening in our household, and I'm usually the brunt of the joke. <laughs> But uh, earlier this, uh, this month, rather, Shara and I took the, the girls to the Bishop Art District in Dallas. You know, we, uh, they had a day off from school, and we thought, you know, it'd be good for us to go uh, to Dallas to uh, the Pie Emporium. They have some good pies. And we thought the girls would really enjoy that. So on our way to the, the Pie Emporium, I got somewhat confused it wasn't for long, but I was turned around a little bit. <laughs> Didn't know exactly where to go. And so I began to make a left, I think it was, on a particular street. And then Shara said, no, I think you ought to make a right. You can relate, huh? Now... What makes it interesting is when you have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old observing all this. So right away, my 10-year-old says, Papa, you know you really ought to listen to Mom. But look, she had a rationale behind it. She said, you know, she was born in Dallas. She knows the city. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) And, And honestly... You know, I was like, wait a minute. And I was really believing I was right. So I was like, but then, you know, the spirit nudged me. And I got it. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity. And it, it didn't come to me in, in those words. But this is a great opportunity for me to exemplify humility to my daughter. So I said, no, baby, you're right. Mom was born in Dallas. I'm going to listen to mom. So I bust a right, right? Instead of a left. So we went, and come to find out, Shara was wrong. And really, it's a left we needed to, to make. And, you know, at that point, and I thought about it, I thought, man, you know, but I, I wasn't even bitter. I wasn't like, yeah, I told you so. That didn't even come out of my mouth. No, it did not. And, you know, here's what I was thinking. I thought, wow, you know, in that moment, I don't know what was happening, but on a cosmic level, I believe the spirit orchestrated 
a situation for me to show my daughter what humility is. You know, there's nothing wrong with me listening to my wife, and although it was wrong, but I was being humble. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we think about, again, we're not perfect. I mean, I've told people to consider approaching a situation in certain ways. That wasn't the best way. But man, if they're going to say, man, Pierre, forget you. I don't, I'm not going to talk to you. That, you know, it's like, man, I, I feel bad for that person who decides that. You know, my wife has helped me change and helped me to grow in so many ways. And if for any reason I had chose because she was wrong in that way, that I'm not going to listen to her, who would be the fool? I would be the fool. So in the same way, we've got to understand we're not perfect. We're trying to help one another. And what's required is humility. Not a perfect person on the other end. You've got to be humble. I've got to be humble. It's what God calls us to do. But that's what's required. And Google is finally figuring that out that we need to be humble. But you know, the second question that I see here that uh, Uzziah's life helped me to think about is, are you accepting your God-giving limits? You know, when you think about it, Uzziah was having an issue here. What did? And then the text doesn't say what really led him to do that, but he, he for some reason... He decided that, okay, I'm, I'm going to go in the temple and I'm going to burn the incense. And of course, we know he knew that that was not allowed by God. Right? Zechariah, the scripture said, instruct him in the way of the Lord. And certainly his father before him had shown him an example of how, what God expects in this situation. And many other kings from before have lived that way. But he was having some, some issue there. And I'm not sure what it was, but he wasn't willing to accept the limits here. You know, the definition of the Greek word humility, or the root, the root definition of it, is low lying. Low lying, not rising far from the ground. In other words, low in spirit, unpretentious. And this is in regard to our position when it comes to God. Right? We understand who we are before God, that there are limits, and that we can't just say, hey, I'm going to do it how I want. I'm going to figure out and put together, here's how it's going to work for me, but there, there are limits. Earlier this month, I read a book called None Like Him. This is what it looks like. This is a recommendation from Steve Ozan. He read it. He was really excited about it and thought, man, it'd be a good book for me to read. And, uh, and he was right. It's a great book. You know, in this book, the author described 10 traits that are only limitlessly true of God and can never be true of us as humans. Right? We're called to imitate God, but there are some things you and I will never be able to be as it pertains to God. You know, God is infinite, Chin. Right? He knows all things. You and I cannot do that. He's omnipotent, where he has the power to change whatever he chooses to. He can override the laws of nature. When was the last time you did that? Maybe through prayer, we've uh, asked God, and he's, he's really answered our prayer and stopped the rain. But you and I can't wake up and say, stop. 
We are unable to be that way. That's a limit that's put there by God. This is who God is. But according to the book, the problem is in our pride, we attempt to emulate these traits because we want God's glory for ourselves. We reject these God-given limits that God is allowed to be set in our lives for good reasons. I thought about it, man, if I could, if, if I, if I tried or a, there was a way for me to take on all the knowledge in the world, I probably would just burst. I mean, just a little bit that because of technology and all that we're bombarded with that messes up our lives. Can you imagine? And so sometimes that's what we, we run after, trying to be God because we want the glory for ourselves. You know, one of the traits that I really want you to consider today as we consider Uzziah, where he was at, and how he was really rejecting the limits. I want you to consider this trait that the author mentioned in the book, and it's true, it's all over scripture, that, you know, one of the traits that only God can be, that trait is self-sufficient. Right? Only God can function in a way where he doesn't need anyone. That's what it says in the book of Acts, right? That he... It's not, he doesn't need us for anything. The, the, the way that he chooses to involve himself in our lives is because he loves us. It's not because you and I have done anything for him. God has no need for us in any way. He's self-sufficient. Now, in the same way, none of us are self-sufficient. We need others in our lives. And Uzziah here, as we see in 2 Chronicles 26, he was rejecting that idea, what God has set up. How, you know, there, you know God has, has, has really called for the priest to do that, which benefits him, but he was pushing that boundary. You know, it's a sign that we're lacking in humility whenever we start trying to live our lives as if we don't need others. Or we isolate ourselves from other people. Right? We're going to do the solo Christian act, be on an island and be by ourselves. That's a lack of humility. It's a sign that we're lacking humility when we start telling ourselves that we don't need to make ourselves accountable to others. Of course you do. We're not self-sufficient. We need, we need other people to help us be successful and be in more self-control in the things we're trying to deal with. Or when we start telling ourselves, look, I got this. I don't need nobody. And I understand. And I've been there. Sometimes it's out of hurt. Right? We say that. But that's, this is where Satan brings us and really start thinking we're like God. We don't need anybody. And that is not true. That's a lie. You know, when we tell ourselves we don't need to confess our sins to anyone other than God. Have you heard that lately? Has, certain, has Satan whispered that in your ears? You know, you, you don't need to confess your sin. Yeah, you know, you're sorry about that. You, you don't need to tell anybody else about that. But, you know, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we need to walk into the light. And that's how we're able to have fellowship with one another. So, yeah, we definitely need to start by saying, God, you are right. When I do this, this is wrong. I confessed. But we need to turn around and connect with one another and say, this is where I'm at in my life. This is not helping me. I need to change that. You know, there's a, I, I had a, a great conversation with uh, several of the brothers around just eating. 
You know, where for me, and I've said it for years, and this I realize is a rationalization. I say, you know, I'm an emotional eater. What does that mean? Right? I mean, it, it sounds like something you would hear on a talk show. But what it really means is I love and rely on food more than I do on God. Because when I'm stressed, when I'm overwhelmed, and even get this for me, even when I'm happy and wants to celebrate, there's a way in which I can go overboard with what I eat, the portion I put in my body. And, uh, you know, and I, and I realize, and, I, and, and the brothers who know me well, they've heard me mention this, but I, I thought about it the other day. I was like, you know what, I really haven't sought out accountability for this. You know, and, and I've had some conversation where I'm listening and want to hear something, but I haven't really said, man, I, I, I'm kind of blowing it in this area here. I need, I need some help to really be self-controlled in terms of how I view food and what I do with food. But, you know, this is what, uh, this is what the, the scriptures talk about here. You know, humility is accepting those limitations that we need other people in our lives to really help us be our best for God. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 here, as we uh, bring our thoughts here to a close. Your scripture says here, for by the grace given me, this is Paul writing to uh, the Christians in the church in Corinth. says, for by the grace given me, I'm sorry, uh, the Christian in the church in, in Rome there. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I mean, that in itself is very profound to me and very convicting. But here's what really gets me. Now, he's writing this right before he goes into an explanation of how the church works, that we're like a body, that we're a body rather, and we're, we're different parts in the body, and we need one another. And so we can't really live this body life without humility, without first deciding, you know what, I can't think of myself more highly than I really am. I got to have sober judgment about who I am. I have to have humility. And what we just talked about, really understanding I need other people in my life. Because without that life in the body of Christ, we're not going to be able to participate in that. You'll come to church, but you'll just kind of be going around. And, you know, it's, it's obvious, guys. You know, it's as obvious as leprosy on someone's forehead. You can see it. You can see who's just really not taking God at his word and really allowing other people to be part in their lives. There's, it, it, it's, it's, it's written all over our faces. But, you know, the scriptures say we have to be sober in our attitude, right, in our judgment to understand that we need other people in our lives. Um, you know, in conclusion, I want to share about, certainly want to call us to really think about these questions. You know, am I learning from others? That's a good check to figure out, where am I, where's my level of humility? Am I learning from others? Who are they, right? Who is it am I sitting down with? You know, Bruce Ware and I had a great time. I just had to sit down, and we talked about that, uh, what I mentioned earlier. Um, but are we learning from others? Secondly, you know, are we accepting 
the God-given limits that are, God has placed in our lives there. Specifically, do we accept the fact that, look, we're, we're not self-sufficient. Only God can be that way. We need one another. And one of the things that really helped me is when I think about the preciousness, and this is, uh, I want to share this as I closed here. You know, when I, sh- when I think about the preciousness of our relationships with one another, you know, it's precious to God. They're precious to God. And certainly we need to really fight to get there, make every effort to really understand it the way God does, that these relationships are precious. And for me, one of the things that helped me is when I think about, uh, there's a last picture that I have in my presentation. You know, uh, this is something that helps me to think about how precious these relationships are. When I look at that face, and a lot of times people see this picture, they automatically think this is my daughter, Danielle. But this is Shara. And when I, when I think about the fact that here, this, here is a, 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 a smart, very intelligent woman, very capable of living her life. You know, half the thing, sometimes I sit back, I'm like, should I be paying her for being with me? I mean, this is like, <laughs> this is, she's awesome. She's amazing. But the thing is, one of her Shah's strength is that, you know, she, as a wife, and I, I feel totally blessed, is, is, is very humble in her willingness to allow me to lead her and lead our family. And when I look at that baby, that, well, that young girl, and I just think about the fact that God is entrusting her in, in my care in that sense in a relationship. And then it doesn't help that when I look at her, I see my older daughter as well. But just the the preciousness, it really hit me that how precious that is. That God is wanting to use me to influence her and vice versa, use her to influence me. This is a precious deal that God has has me in. And, you know, that's just, yeah, I mean, this doesn't only pertain to marriage, but I think for the relationships we have in the church, that there's a preciousness. God is entrusting us with one another. That we can instruct and help each other. Now, I know Shah doesn't, doesn't really, you know, really give her heart for me to be able to help and lead her because I'm perfect by no means, but because of her faith in God, because of her fear of God, a fear of God. And in the same way, as we look at one another and realize, I mean, there's something really precious that God is trying to do in these relationships. And because of our love for God, there, there, you know, there ought to be a humility to allow one another in each other's lives. And to really allow these relationships to be transformative in the way that we're learning from each other. And we're certain, we have faith about the fact that, you know what, I need people in my life. In the same way, I'm confident that Jesus died for me. I'm confident that I'm not self-sufficient. I need somebody to help me grow in Christ. We need to do that. And, you know, as we uh, transition our thoughts to the communion, I'll, I'll pray for the communion here as we end. You know, again, when you think about it, Jesus showed us that those relationships are precious to God. By his willingness and his humility to die on the cross. And this is what we get to celebrate at this time. And whenever we come together and think about how God has shown 
us love through the cross. Let's go to him in prayer.